Well, good morning, church family. It is great to see you. My wife and kids and I were up in my hometown of Lettington this past week, and uh, so it was a privilege to be able to get away for a little bit and uh, come back refreshed. Now, I want to begin by asking how many of you know a Detroiter by the name of Tommy Walker? How many? Tommy Walker. He describes himself as a commissioned artist. He's a brand manager and a creative problem solver. Any of you know him now? You familiar with his work? (laughs) That's what I thought. While many of us might not know Mr. Walker, I trust that most of us are actually familiar with his work. We're familiar with something that Mr. Walker has created. Now, let me set the stage for you. The year is 2012. Mr. Walker is growing increasingly frustrated by this sort of national narrative that is going on about his hometown. Anytime he turns on the TV, Detroit is getting slammed in some way or another. It is dangerous. It is defunct. It is destined for irrelevant as a relic. It's something from the past. And yet, that's not what Tommy Walker saw when he was on the streets of Detroit. When he's on the streets of Detroit in that time period, he sees huge architectural projects happening in the city. They're beginning, they're starting. He sees new restaurants opening. He sees new life on the streets. And yet the narrative remained the same. The narrative and the culture remained the same. So Walker decided to do something about it. He created a clothing brand called Detroit versus everybody. Now, how many of you are familiar with Tommy Walker's work? (laughs) I thought so. You see, when Walker decided to do this, what he sought to do was remind Detroiters who we are. We are hardworking people who persevere, yet we're often overlooked. Detroit versus everybody became this kind of unifying force in our culture that clearly sets up this distinction. There is us and there is them. Detroit versus everybody. It's very clear. For those of us who are in Christ today, that's a problem. It is not a healthy ideology to hold. Now, we, while we can kind of celebrate Walker's success and how that clothing line has taken off, not just in Detroit, but it is used now uh, in different cities across our country, the idea behind that business, I want to encourage you today, has absolutely no place within God's church. None. No place. Because within the community of faith, there is no us versus them. There is no church versus everybody. That is not how it works because God's people are united. We are not divided. And I want to give you a little pro tip. Remember what I just said there. God's people are united. We are not divided. We're going to turn to the scriptures to unpack that a little more. But first, let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for inviting us here today. Each and every one of us have a divine appointment with you today as we gather in this place with your people to bring an offering of praise. We are here, God, for you. For you to make us more like your son Jesus. We just proclaimed that with our lips, God. May we now live it out with our hearts and with our minds as we turn to your word. God, collectively, we stand upon your word because it is true, it is truth. It has exactly what we need today. So God, some of us didn't have a vacation this week like I did. Some of us are walking through some really difficult things at work, in their private lives. And so for my brothers and sisters who are in that place today, I pray that you would meet with them through the pages of your word. That your Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts. For those of us who had amazing weeks, mountaintop weeks, God, we pray that you would break through any distraction. Speak to our hearts as well. God, we need to hear your truth today. So give us ears to hear this truth clearly. We need to see this truth, so give us eyes to see this truth clearly. And God, give us humble hearts before you that you might do a work through the power of your spirit in each of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we are returning to the first chapter of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the believers in a city called Corinth. As you grab your Bibles and prepare to read, I want to remind you a little bit about Corinth. Maybe you haven't been traveling with us the last couple weeks, but you're here today, so let me give you just a quick snapshot of Corinth. Corinth is a great city. It is in a prime geographical location. And so in this great location, that made it a center for a lot of things, a lot of commerce, a lot of luxury, a lot of philosophy, a lot of different ideas. And as you might expect, with those things, when they all come together, you can have some pretty clear divisions, some pretty clear factions can develop, can kind of break into what's happening even when we're talking about the church of Christ. You say, well, how can this be? I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to the Word to find out. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to pick it up at verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. You're going to find that on page 952 in our ESV church Bibles. Here's what Paul writes. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you would agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, but beyond that I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Such an interesting text. It gives us such vivid imagery of the factions that you see developing in this one branch of the early church. And it also gives us a vivid picture of what's going on in our hearts as well. It's in our nature. Divisions. Preferences. Before we prayed, I made the statement that God's people are united. They are not divided. Now, some of you are saying, well, okay, Pastor, that is not not what we just read. Truth is, while it may appear that way at times, and I want to stand before you and be transparent and say, absolutely, as you look through any book of church history, what you will find are a lot of divisions, a lot of schisms, a lot of things that happened against one another that did happen between believers. And then if you go into today's world, go into any major city, any city of any size, and you'll drive down a street, and there'll be one church with one denomination and one brand, and then you'll go down the street a little further, and on the other side of the street, there'll be another denomination, and then there's another one and another one. Just keep driving. You'll keep finding them. Seems like division, doesn't it? Seems like something is going on. And yet the biblical truth suggests something far more important. Far more significant than what we read in the church history books or what we see when we're driving down the streets of our city. What we find is that through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, all become part of one community. All of us become part of one community. Colossians says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has delivered us from one place to the next. And because we have been delivered, I'm going to take you to another passage that Paul wrote, Ephesians chapter 2. Because we have been delivered, we are no longer strangers or aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's who we are in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. We are now a member of his family. You see, this makes all the difference. Because you and I are connected with each other as the people of God, what I said earlier to begin with, that's what makes us united. That's what connects us. That's what links us. We are united even in times where we don't act like it very much. Even in those times where we don't act like we are united, the biblical truth is in Christ we are united. So with that as our 
foundation with that biblical truth established for all who are in Christ. Let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's return to the text and see what happens when some of these divisions, when they, when they kind of pop up, when they arise. Look again at verse 10. Paul, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there would be no divisions among you but that you would be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. A situation has clearly arisen within the context of this group of believers. So Paul does something that I think every single person here today can learn from within the community of faith. If you are in Christ today, I want you to pay special attention to the way that Paul goes about what we're looking at in this text. He makes an appeal. He doesn't make a demand. He doesn't try to be manipulative. Instead, he honors his brothers and sisters in the faith by appealing to them. Listen to the words again. He said, I want you to be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's my desire. Well, how can that happen? By the name that unites them. By Jesus, who is the Christ. That's how we can be united. And Paul desires that they would recognize their connected hearts rather than the things that would drive them apart, that would push them to different sides, to a different place, to different divisions. He says, don't focus on those things. What links our hearts and links our minds is Jesus, the Christ. We are united in Christ. A church, whether you're talking about the church family, your family, your coworkers, friends in the neighborhood, whatever you are looking at, this is an incredibly healthy practice for all of us here today. Whatever the differences are, don't focus on the differences. Lead with common ground. Begin on a place of common ground. And if you were in Christ today, that common ground is Jesus. So why does Paul need to address this? Because it is his desire that he would see gospel movement in the hearts and in the minds of God's people. Movement away from these factions, these preferences. Movement away from a a favorite teacher or a favorite preacher or a favorite thinker. This is why he addresses each of them individually. He kind of highlights a few of them. This is what he says. He says, well, some of you say, well, I follow Paul. Now, Paul's writing this. That has to be a little weird, doesn't it? Hey, you guys follow me. A little strange. But he didn't have, in fact, have a following. Then he mentions Apollos, a different style preacher by most... uh, Most theologians will tell you Apollos was a a little bit of a different style. He was a little more intellectual. Those are the kind of the people that he would roll with. And so his preaching likely had a little bit more of an intellectual emphasis. So he had some followers over there. Then you get Cephas. I follow Cephas. Now, that's the Aramaic name for Peter. 
Most of us are familiar with Peter, and you'll remember that Peter followed Jesus before Paul, so it's certainly understandable that Peter would have a following as well. So you've got, I follow Paul, I've got Apollo, Apollos, I follow Cephas. Make no mistake, these cliques are troubling. Instead of being united around the good news of Jesus Christ who came to earth, lived a sinless, spotless life, and then sacrificed that life on a cross so that you might be forgiven, that you might be redeemed, that should be the focus for all who believe. But instead, they developed partisanship and preferences and cliques. There's another huge lesson embedded in the text that we're looking at, and I want to highlight it for us. Paul does not address or attack the individuals that he's referencing. At no point does he attack Apollos. At no point does he attack Cephas. He doesn't say, hey, those are bad guys. You shouldn't follow them. He doesn't do that. At no point does he address those issues. Instead, what, or I should say those parties. Instead, what he does is he addresses the issue of the fact that there are parties. Big distinction. Very important for us. Something that you and I can learn from. He's not saying following those, those people or their teaching is wrong. What he is saying is that they place too high a priority on your life. That is how you identify instead of identifying as a Christ follower. There shouldn't be parties. There shouldn't be cliques. And the reality is we know this to be true in our world today too, don't we? If we're going to be completely transparent with, with each other, many of us here today walked in these doors with a very specific preference on the music that we're going to sing, the very specific music that we are going to play. I like this style of contemporary music. As if Jesus only likes hearing his name praised with our style of music. Some of us would say, no, I only listen to certain pastors on certain podcasts. As if God only speaks powerfully to a certain small group of preachers and pastors. Some of us only read books by authors that our friends approve of and recommend to us. As, as if those authors all have perfect theology. Church, I want to be completely transparent with you and give you full disclosure here. I care deeply about the things that I just mentioned. All three of those things. They matter. This is why Jacob and I come together each week on the songs that we sing. We talk about it. We consider it. We pray over it. This is why in my personal life I listen to pastors who preach in a different context, in a different style, and maybe even in a different stream than I run in. Why? Because I need to learn and grow. And this is also why I try to have at least one quote in every single sermon I preach here at White Lake. 
because it is my desire that I would encourage you to read further, and the names of the people I quote matter to me, and I hope that you would take note of that and go, oh, I need to read that guy a little more. That was a great quote. That was helpful. Now, I think you can understand why today I'm not quoting anybody. You can connect the dots. All of those things are incredibly important to me as your pastor, as your shepherd, and yet none of those things should draw me away from the centrality of the gospel in my life and in my pastoral ministry. And none of those things should impact your faith journey either. None of them should draw you away from the centrality of Jesus Christ in your life. None of them. Now, let's return to the text. Pick it up at verse 13. See why Paul addresses this with such clarity and with such precision. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. Let's skip down to verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, to preach the good news, to preach the good news of Jesus, who is the Christ. Paul challenges the believers in Corinth and all of us who are reading this letter. He says, insert whatever name you can think of. Listen, Paul, okay, fine. How about Apollos? Great. I follow Cephas, fine. I'm a Luther guy. I, I prefer Calvin. No, 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 I'm a Spurgeon guy. How about John MacArthur, John Piper? Fill in the blank. None of them were crucified for your sins. But Jesus was. None of them had anything to do with your baptism. But Jesus did. None of these Christian leaders, whether they're first century leaders or leaders today, can do what Jesus has done for you. None of them. So for those who are in Christ, he must be the foundation of your faith. Jesus it's not Jesus and his trusted sidekick, fill in your favorite pastor. It's not Jesus plus my favorite author. Uh, I want to be very clear. I am not saying you shouldn't read good, solid authors. Please do. I hope that you're engaging with some deep, challenging authors and listening to other pastors who are challenging you and encouraging you in your faith. But I want you to remember, as Paul does here, we are making an appeal to be Christ-centric. Jesus must have the rightful place when it comes to influence in your faith journey. So let's make this a little more personal. Believer, who are you following this morning? Is it Jesus? Is it the Messiah, the one who paid a penalty that you could not pay so that you might have eternal life? Is that who you're following? Is it him? 
Or is it a wise, old sage of a pastor? A really impressive theologian and thinker? Someone who offers tremendous insight into the Word of God? Someone who speaks and writes with great skill? If you were honest today, and it is the latter, may I appeal to you as Paul did to the church in Corinth, return to your first love. Return to Jesus, your first love. Allow him to be the rock of your salvation. Allow him to be the foundation of your faith. Jesus. So church, the apostle has provided us with two action steps today. Two ways that we can experience unity in spite of the differences or preferences that we see on this, uh, in this particular text and that we see in our world. The first is to acknowledge what's been torn. We can acknowledge what's been torn and seek to mend it. Now here's why I say that and use that terminology. The Greek verb that Paul uses in this text is a a word that appeals to the restoration process, to restoring something that has been broken, something that has been torn, to mend a fishing net. This particular verb is used in that space repeatedly in Scripture, to restore it to its right condition. That's what Paul desires for believers. For those of us who are caught up in these divisions and these, these factions, these preferences. He desires that we would be restored to a right condition in our heart and in our mind. That's his desire. Now you might say, well, what's the right condition? What is Paul pointing to? That's our second action step today. We can experience unity when we turn to Christ, when we turn to the one and only Christ. It is only by God's grace through your faith that we are forgiven, whether we're redeemed and restored. That only comes through Christ. Only in Jesus are you made new and then empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk in the ways of God. That only happens through Christ. And only in Jesus, when we turn to him consistently and faithfully, are we set free from the divisions that so easily divide the body of Christ, his church. So if there remains something within your heart today, right here, right now, if there remains this temptation for division or factions or kind of that us versus them mentality, I want to encourage you I want to encourage you with the words of the Apostle Paul from a different letter that he wrote. And he wrote it to another group of believers in a place called Ephesus. I think they give the clearest counsel in all of Scripture on this particular issue. Here's what Paul writes. There is one body and one spirit. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, period. May this Jesus be the central focus of your worship. 
May he be the central focus of your heart's desire. May he be the central focus of your strength. And may he be the central focus of your hope today and in the week ahead. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.